And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' myriad of injuries from James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, who are out and will continue to miss time, to Tobias Harris, who's day-to-day, to Matisse Thibel and P.J. Tucker and Joel Bede, who are all playing through various ailments. We break it all down and talk about what the Sixers can do to try to get through the next couple of weeks playing with a skeleton crew. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Rich. How you doing? Do you have any like foot injuries, like a hip flexor or a quad strain? Is how are all of you? Like, are you physically okay? Let's start off there. You know, Derek, my back has been hurting me a little bit recently. Not in, in a crippling manner, but yeah, it's uh, not where it'll my... stop you from uh, from writing and podcasting. No, you're not an injured reserve. Well, you are. In terms of, of who we talk about, you would be a rarity then, because the entire Sixers team right now is going through some sort of ailment. You have James Harden with the strain tendon in the foot, still probably a week and a half, two weeks away from returning. You've now got Tyrese Maxey, uh, the news with a, uh, a a minor break in his left foot. Do I have that yeah, right? That's what, the, that's what they said. Yeah. Uh, he is specific. expected to miss three to four weeks. You still have Furkan Korkmaz, who is out with a knee injury. Tobias Harris, who is basically day-to-day with a left hip injury. and. Joel Embiid, who rolled an ankle last night. You have P.J. Tucker, who was mysteriously not with the team when they came back out of halftime. Doc Rivers Doc- didn't even know what he was, what of his injury was being looked at, uh, and we didn't have an update on that after the game. So pretty much anybody. Wait, who, you have you have Matisse Thybul too, who Matisse Thybul, yep, whose ankle was not good enough to the point where he played five minutes in the first half, and Doc said. Yep. Yep. You're done for the night. I don't like how you're moving. So, outside of all of those injuries... Oh, wait. You have D'Anthony Melton with back stiffness, too. Sure, I know he's playing sure, through that, sure. too, but that's, you know... Look, we can't go through thing. everyone. We're just trying to, you know, talk about the ones who actually miss time with their injuries. It's the whole team. Yeah, it is. Uh... Outside of that, we have a 112-109 loss to talk about. We have a team that before then had won four out of five games and seemed to be turning a little bit of a corner, at least defensively. But you look at it now, and you've got weeks, weeks, where Shake Milton and DeAnthony Milton are not only your two primary ball handlers, but really your only two ball handlers. And I don't really know what to make of this team right now. There's nothing to make of them, except they're so banged up in a, in, in a comical manner. I mean, we just mentioned the entire starting lineup is banged up in one way or yep. another. And four out of five, not or three out of five, not playing. They're not playing, and then you have Joel and PJ who are legitimately banged up. I mean, Joel, that was just insult to to injury. Of, of course, at the end of the game, he has 
a play where George Niang literally falls on his foot. Yeah. Looked horrible. And, yeah, you know, uh, of all the injuries, that's the one that actually like you're watching it and you go, oh, no, like that was the one that actually looked like it could be bad. Hopefully not. Knock on wood. Certainly going to be sore today. We will uh, we will see. I mean, Doc said he thought it was a rolled ankle. Joel, as we have noted in the past, he's a little bit of a, a drama king, I guess I would say. A drama that king, said, but who then goes, I'll be fine. Yeah. He mentions that, it and then I'll be fine. And, and I. I think that's what this is going to be but you know what you could be a drama king after that that looked really bad and even even if it's a rolled ankle i'm sure it is uh it's gonna be a bitch to play through it's gonna be tough so not only that but we're like a week removed from him being like i can't really lift my arm because of my shoulder you know so he's still still he still deals with that shoulder i mean he blocked a shot in the minnesota game and you could tell he was um yeah he's still fiddling with that shoulder I don't know, man. This is none of these injuries, at least the way they're being reported and talk talk to us about it, seem like they're long term, seem like they're season enders almost. I mean, what does long term mean? But like half season type injuries. That said, in the short term, this is about as banged up as a team can get. This is brutal right now. Their availability is approaching like peak era COVID levels, except they're actual basketball injuries. Yeah, none, none of them are COVID. And you could just see in the the Minnesota game, first off, as far, as far as these two games are concerned, both with the result and with how they played, I got nothing really bad to say considering how banged up they are. I mean, honestly, getting one out of two there is pretty good. And they were a freaking Melton smoked layup away from yeah. somehow sweeping that back-to-back. It would have been insane. I mean, they didn't guard for most of the game. Last night, and then Minnesota just went into a complete shell against, you know, kind of a weak zone defense. But I don't know. I I thought they they played pretty well. But you can just see when they run their offense now, like when their normal starters play, you know, they'll they'll run those delay sets. They'll run dribble handoffs. When when their starting lineup is humming and they're playing the way they should, four of the five guys can do something with the ball. Like they can run a pick and roll. They can ISO. They can you know, get in the defense. And even the fifth guy, PJ, is playing with Harden so he can kind of flow into the offense there. I'm they sure have, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Right now, they run, you know, drill handoffs, step-up action, all those things. You just see the ball finds these guys on the perimeter. There are way too many guys that they can't do anything with the ball. Like, I mean, you're you're watching it swing around the perimeter and you're like, all right, this ball's got to get to George Niang because he can dribble, you know, and he can. Yeah, OK, he's probably going to take a tough floater, but that's what's going to happen. So they are comically undermanned. They need Tobias Harris back from this hip thing. Like He's just got to play. I they need him just to soak up some offensive possessions, because right now, if they go 500 with the crew they have right now. That's good. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. That's that's all you can really ask for. And, you know, l- luckily for them, you know, they go on the road this week. They got Charlotte and a couple Orlando's. That'll give them a chance to get 500. But it's uh, they're they're in complete survival mode right now. Yeah. And you're, I mean, you're talking about it like that, that win against the Bucks, 110 to 102 win against the Bucks. Second half was without Tyrese. Incredible win. Incredible. And the Ty- shame of it is Tyrese had his best half maybe since <laughs> Toronto before he got injured. He finally looked like he was getting it going offensively. He had what, like, I think 24 in the first half. 
and then had that foot injury right at the end on a driving layup. Uh, you could see right when he landed, something was wrong. Uh, he was favoring that. He was clearly in pain. I guess it could have been worse. Certainly when you you watched it live, like the way he reacted, you worried. Uh, so I think three to four weeks is probably a pretty good outcome. We got to see how well that, that fracture heals. But yeah, it's like you said. And then you come back against the Wolves and they're down 20 and they look like shit and they can't defend anyone. All of a sudden, a completely improbable comeback happens. They come up short. But you watch that game and it's not even really the offense that was killing you in that game. Like they couldn't defend anyone for the first three quarters. Yeah. Which you look at the roster and you think, all right, well, at the very least, this, this group can you know, compete defensively. You know, you're looking right. at a starting lineup of House and Milton and Melton and Bede and Tucker. Like, that group should be able to compete. They really struggled for a long time. Then Shake Milton just, your favorite, Shake Milton just found a rhythm, really carried them at points, uh, along with Bede going the charity stripe like 20 times. But outside of that, and quite frankly, what Shake's doing isn't sustainable. Like, if it was, he wouldn't be Shake Milton. I don't know how you're going to generate any kind of offense with any kind of consistency here over the next couple of weeks. Like you said, you desperately need Tobias Harris back. And I don't you think need Corkmaz back. You need Corkmaz back, absolutely. And I don't think either of us are necessarily keen on asking Tobias to generate that much offense. Certainly not with Furkan generating that much offense. But you don't have any options anymore. Like you're running some of those lineups, and I'm not even really going to kill Doc for it because when you run down their list of ball handlers, like you get the two and then you really just don't have anything else, but you're sitting there with Reed and Embiid and Bible and house. And it's like, I don't know what the even like, how do you, how, how do you judge this team right now? You can't, you give the ball to Embiid and you hope that's all you have. have. Keen ain't got nothing to do with it. And I am not going to blame doc for one lineup. He throws out until they get at least two more guys back. This is crazy. They, they have nobody who can play. Right now, I mean, you know, are they going to throw in Justin Champagne? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think that 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 might be the answer. But again, it's not not a great answer. And when you unironically find yourself saying, "God, they need Corkmaz back so they can run fifteen <laughs> pick and rolls with him," but uh, they, they honestly do because do. he can. And he, you know what? I'm hard on Shake Milton. I will give him the credit in that it seems like he is, and, and you use this word, rhythm. He's a rhythm player where. I don't think you can throw Shake into a game when he hasn't played for three weeks and and, and ask him to, you know, cook. And I, I don't think he's going to have the 27-point game again. But if he starts playing regularly, it seems to me like his level of play will increase fairly dramatically uh, to from, like, incompetent to competent. <laughs> that's, but that's yeah. dramatic. Like, And I think... He's always been pretty good when they're shorthanded. The, part of the issue with the Maxi injury is the guy who they relied on last year when they were shorthanded was Maxi, and now to not have him is uh, it's a tough blow. And yeah, they uh, I, they just found a way against Milwaukee. Joel just kind of look. These were hard matchups for Joel this weekend too, right? You had Brooke Lopez who guards him. As good as anybody, but he he powered his way through and he made a bunch of really tough mid range jumpers at the end of the the Bucks game. Unbelievable pass on the one to shake yeah. too. That that's like a guy who was was struggling for a little bit throughout the game. Like Lopez was making him take a lot of shots, 
but just completely turned it on down the stretch. Great feel by him. And then he's got to play Gobert the next night. And look, say what you want about Gobert. Joel is obviously way, way better than Gobert because Gobert airballs. A couple of real comical offensive possessions, yeah. yeah. There were comical offensive possessions all over the place, by the way. You had a Thibault airball. You had Paul Reed going behind the back through his legs to beat a buzzer. Well, at least he made that you one, know, too. No, like it, was, it was both comical and amazing. It was it was good, and I, I thought their reaction to it was very funny. Like the whole team was just George they were after down. the game. He's like, I, I got to give Paul credit. You know, he 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 works his ass off. Um, he he practices that shot all the time, and then he's like, and then he practices stuff he should be working on too. Uh, <laughs> so everybody had a little bit of fun, both with and at Paul's expense. And they were down sixteen points at that time too. But they, that, that was just so funny and so improbable and impressive at the same time that everybody had to kind of talk about it. He could it. try that a hundred times. I'm not sure he pulls it off again, but major credit to him for pulling it off when it matters. Somebody threw the ball. I think Shake threw the ball maybe 15 rows into the stands on one possession too. It was, I mean, just comical. And it wasn't a long pass. It was like a 10-foot pass. Oh, yeah. He was on the- I have the, no idea how it happened. He was on the strong side when he threw yeah. that pass. Yeah, usually when you airmail somebody by that <laughs> yeah. much, it's a skip pass or something like yeah. that. This was- I and mean, he, he skipped someone. It was just his own teammate. So for Joel, not, not an easy matchup where, you know, Gobert is a tough guy to score on, one-on-one for him. Like, it's not, it's not impossible. He still got to the free throw line a billion times, didn't quite have the touch, whatever. Uh, so I, I think, like, look, against these teams, hopefully his, his foot is, is healing. His ankle is healing. Against a team like Brooklyn, who really can't handle him at all. They have nobody who can guard him. He's going to have to go crazy, and they're going to have to defend, like you said, because their defense was not good enough for most of the game until the Wolves started shitting their pants. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to say it any other way. I mean, that would have been one of the worst losses ever. If you're the wolves, fully healthy team. Sixers are on a back to back and you almost blew that lead. You were a, a missed layup by Melton. Melton had a, a decent shot at that. He made a great steal on Edwards and he just couldn't finish it. Yeah. Oh no, so, that, that is, you should be relegated kind of loss. Like in, in other leagues, you get relegated for that kind of shit. I, I saw us. I saw Seth Part now say that the opposite of a moral victory is an immoral loss. And I think that's what Minnesota should feel. Because you know what? I don't want to hear this. A win is a win. I, 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 you know, yeah, fine. You still get it in the standings. You avoided complete disaster. But it's it's pretty bad that you let that game get that close. Yeah. Um, where was I going to go? I was going to go somewhere with that. Can we um, Can we talk about something more important? What an honor it was to be in the house for the ladder game yeah. on Friday night. Yep. Yep. You have any thoughts on Laddergate? I don't necessarily care too much. You know, I do think that I think probably the most interesting part of it to me is how if you go to certain let's say RNBA or very various other like national communities, there's a lot of people saying like the Sixers or not six, but the Wells Fargo Center like staff was like trying to like troll Giannis, and it's like no, like they're tearing the building down. They do. Th- there's a fucking, and it, it didn't matter because there was no hockey game. But there's a there's a ice hockey rink underneath it. Like this is a <laughs> this is a multi-purpose arena that they tear down. They're putting a new uh, a new court on uh, for the the game the following night. And my favorite picture to sort of prove that 
was there was a picture of, of Giannis shooting a free throw, and behind them was the other basket being like already torn down. Like they're just trying to do their job. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people when they go out and they work on like, for example, free throws after they go four for thirteen from the line, a lot of that is performative. I, I don't necessarily think, think that's the case with Giannis. I think he was just so frustrated that it's it's sort of like when you play pickup and you've got to like make your last shot before walking out. I think he just needed to find a rhythm because he was so pissed off at himself. So I don't I don't hold that against him. You know, but when he's seeing that the workers are trying to do their job, he should he should like just step back and respect that. That's all. That's my only real take. I don't really have a take on who was right, who was wrong. I think if you want to say Montrez was being I think everybody was probably wrong at various points. And I think everybody, like, I think the workers should have, you know, wanted to tear it down. And I think Giannis should have wanted to get a free throw and he just should have backed off when it was obvious what was going on. That's all. Sure. And Montrez being difficult, you know, does he have the home court advantage with the working on the free throws? I got to be honest. I don't care about any of that stuff. No. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen, though. I mean, the, the visual of Giannis pulling the ladder away. And the arena guy or the TV guy, whoever it was, just pushing it back. That's as funny as it gets. Like, like this yeah. guy wants to leave. Also, comically big ladder, too. That's yeah. the other thing. When that thing comes falling down, it's it's hilarious. The, the other thing, too, is... You're a ladder guy? You don't seem like a ladder guy. No, no, no. That ladder scare <laughs> me. I don't want to get on those things. Even, even the small step ladders. I don't like those either, too. I do. Every Not now a- and then, I have to bust out a ladder to get my gutters, and the ladder is like just high enough to get me to the gutters so it's like the, the steepness of it is something that makes the, me nervous other than that i'm okay with ladders but th- that ladder specifically gets me do you have to get on the top step of the ladder oh you're very freaking close yeah uh not Ooh. quite the top step but close it, it's really not the top step of the ladder that gets me it is the steepness of it where it just feels like like i i get someone to like be there just in case because it feels like it's going to tip backwards and it's not right like i know i should have more give on the top of that ladder but it's the ladder I have. Make do with it. We were kind of talking about this last night. It, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of heights when I'm in an uncontrolled space, though. Like I'm not afraid of heights in terms of a roller coaster or I'm in a skyscraper or something like that. But when I'm on a ladder, when I'm on a you know a press box where you got to walk, uh, you know, kind of a rickety little uh, yeah. little pathway above uh, above an arena. Those aren't my favorite. So even, you know, a couple feet with a ladder, those guys are uh, like when the Sixers have a halftime show where the guy stacks a bunch of chairs yeah, and stands crazy. on them. I, I don't enjoy watching that, by the way, because it's like, OK, either he'll do it, which isn't that fun to watch or he'll fall and I'll be scarred for life watching him fall to his death. So it's it's well, not my old thing my with stuff thing. like that is like the amount of work you have to put in to get good enough. Because my whole thing is confidence. Like, if I'm in a situation where I feel confident, then I'm heights don't bother me at all. Like, you can go to, I have, like, pictures of me dangling off of the CN Tower or hiking. Like, go to my Instagram. I <laughs> oh, don't yeah. mind heights. But in order to get good enough where I would have confidence to do that whole, like, chair thing, you have to take a lot of risks to get to the point where that is no longer risky. So I don't even know how you really do it. It's a good point, because if you fail, you die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they have nets and stuff to practice yeah. with, but you know what I mean. You still got to do it for real for the first time at some point, which is which is definitely scary. Also, like the flying Willenda guys, get out of here. I'm not watching that. Like, what, two hours of that of him watching him walk across the Grand Canyon? No way. Okay, back to Giannis, though. There is no arena that I would have picked. Like, if you said Superstar X tried to shoot free throws after an NBA game, 
then got in a fight with arena slash TV people. And you would have said that that happened in Philly. Absolutely. There's, (laughs) and there's a comically big ladder that also tipped over and people were filming after the game. I would have said, I mean, it would have been off the board that this happened in Philadelphia with that arena and all the moving parts. Like you said, multi-purpose, I'll just say bad, uh, old arena. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, the whole thing I thought was was very funny, and it was also funny that we were just in the post game and didn't see any of this happen because you don't usually think, you know, that Giannis uh, is going to get into a a not a fight, a little tiff with uh, yeah argument. with arena arena argument people. with a little shoving of a ladder. It was it was emotional afterwards, though. You know, yeah. there were, you know, in, in the very strange. Anyway. Very funny story. I, I, I got a kick out of that. That is a, I don't think any less of Giannis. I don't think any less of Montrez or Arena people. I just think it's a really funny, stupid NBA story. Yeah. Uh, and it was probably the highlight of the weekend. Yeah. All right. So let's go to not the highlight. PJ Tucker scoreless for three consecutive games. Attempted one or fewer shots in all three of those games, despite playing 29 or more minutes. Overall thoughts on P.J. Tucker, his contributions, his role in the offense, what's missing from being able to make him a productive player, like, overall thoughts. I'm not as down as maybe some of them are on P.J. because he is a very limited player at this point. And I think as you said in your tweet before you uh, you brought up the great stat muse stat last night, I believe he's first player ever. Um, third go score third third player. Sorry, there's Dennis uh, Rodman and somebody else. I, but the the part you preface it with is I think his defense has generally been very good over the past very week good. and and the key game and this is this bodes okay because I, I think this was also the case in the the first game of the season. It seems like he plays Giannis okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Gian, that's a that's Giannis a nice shot tool. Six for fourteen against him. And PJ defended him for almost three fourths of the time uh, that Giannis was on the floor, and Giannis went six for fourteen for fourteen points. That's a nice tool to have in the toolbox for a potential playoff series. If yeah. you have a guy who's just not going to get absolutely slaughtered by Giannis, and that guy's not Joel, that's and the Bucks very... as, a, as a team averaged less than a point per possession during that time. Very good. He's very good. And I also think, and this is this goes a little bit under the radar, is that the Sixers' team defense has been a lot better. Mm-hmm. Even it was good last night. Even I think they're up to they might be up to fourth or third now in, in overall team defense. I mean, at some point somebody's going to make a bunch of threes on them, and it's going to even out a little bit. But their overall team defense has been a lot better, and I think he is in no small part uh, contributing to that because they're. They're not making as many mistakes defensively, and he is rotating and just generally being a smart talking player. And and by the uh, way, Cat went Tucker defended Cat for forty percent of Cat's minutes, and Cat was zero for four and scoreless during those times. forty percent of his minutes scoreless, zero for four. The rest of the game, Cat was five for ten for twelve points. Um, so again, he was real key in that matchup too. All he could do was take contested jumpers against yeah. him, like very contested jumpers, not good shots. I know Cat, some games can make those, very talented offensive player. Okay. 
Really good defense. Uh, offensively, it, it's pretty rough. And you'll see it in, you know, I mentioned the, the possessions where they're swinging the ball around and nobody can really do anything with it. Nobody is a threat to do anything. There are times, there were times in the fourth quarter when they were, the Sixers were mounting their comeback, where the Sixers created a semi-open corner three-pointer for P.J. Tucker. And he's yeah, not he's even not looking, looking at the rim. No. There's, there, he, you know, there's times where you can be like, Tucker's a real good connective passer. He moves the ball quickly. Well, that's because he's, when you don't even contemplate shooting the ball, it's a little easier to be a, a quick decision maker with your passes. And it's much better to be a connector. This is the Draymond Green thing, too. For Draymond Green, it's when you have Steph Curry. For P.J. Tucker, it's when you have James Harden, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Tyrese Maxey on the court at the same time. That's when the semi-open corner threes don't yeah. matter quite as much. Over the next couple of weeks, if P.J. Tucker is healthy enough to play in them, dude, you got to take some of those semi-open corner threes. This, this crew is not yeah. generating those shots. And I, I will also add, you need to do that to help out Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid can't create a shot every single play here. It, by, by taking a shot, you are giving him the playoff, which is important for him. So on the one hand, I, I will say that there are times when he is being guarded. And that's really all you can ask for, right? Yeah, like, and that's he's, one he's, of the differences between like him and Matisse is that even when he's doing legitimately nothing on on offense, like two shots over three games and zero points, he is still occasionally guarded out. The, not as much as he would be if he was a little, you know, quicker with the trigger, but he will occasionally be guarded out there. Was Matisse never is never? Yeah, and just to wrap it up though, I, I understand. I mean, zero points again, 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 like. Yeah, be nice if he could contribute a little bit. No, I mean the, he uh, took that one shot in the first half. I think it was, and I think I like leaned over to you and said, "Well, there's his one shot for the game." Yeah, that's it. No, I mean, look, I think there's a lot of people who say, like, you know, well, what is he even here for? What's he adding to the team? And I think it's pretty obvious what he's adding to the team. He's playing really good defense against really tough matchups, and that's one area where, like, when you look back at the beginning of the season, he's playing much better on defense than he was at the start. He's filling the role that you sort of expected him to fill better than he did at the start of the season. He looks a little more like the PJ Tucker I thought they were going to sign. But when you get into this spot where they need offense in just from anywhere they can get it, from legitimately anywhere, they have no avenues to generate good offense. He needs to be, they need more out of him offensively. And that doesn't mean, you know, some of the bullshit floaters he was making to start the season. You're not going to post up PJ Tucker. You don't want him taking people off the dribble. When you have six feet of space, take that shot. That's it. That's like legitimately it. And if you do that enough and you're guarded out on the perimeter, it's all you're asking for. Then you can continue playing your defense and running your marathons. Because I do think when you look at, you know, there's sort of like two ways to look at PJ Tucker's play. Short term, it's a concern. You just, there's, there's so many concerns with this, this team offensively that having a zero on the court right now is tough. It's real tough to mitigate. But when all, when like, your other four key offensive players come back the way he's playing now, I think probably translates a little better than what we saw at the beginning of the season. So I'm actually kind of like mildly encouraged with PJ's play yeah, just exactly. because he's the defender that I expect him to be. Whereas at the beginning of the season, he was not, but I'm also extremely frustrated because they just need points in any way they can get right now. And he's not even looking at the basket. Exactly. Yeah. And just in between the marathons, take some water breaks and fire some corner threes once in a while. But Again, I agree with you. Like, I think PJ Tucker, 
there will be playoff games if he's playing like this, where he scores two points in the game and he does his job because he yep. guards and he gets some offensive rebounds. And here's the big one. Here is what PJ Tucker is here for when you have all of your players back. He's here to help you just win the freaking game. It doesn't really matter with points and all those things. I, he is more reliant on Harden than I've yes. ever seen. He can't. The Embiid iso ball, like Embiid can create shots for shake for other guys who can move a little bit, at least like who can like come off a screen and pull up PJ Tucker. His, he needs his feet cemented in the goddamn corner, like cemented into the ground to get an open shot. And James Harden is way better at creating that than anybody on the roster. So I want to echo what you're saying. I, I, in the short term, I think it's a major concern just because he's making it really hard for you to score. But the way he's playing, I think if you have all of your offensive weapons, it's going to be okay. You want him for defense. Yeah. No, for the most part. And I marathons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by any season, he's going to be in real good shape. I'm actually a little concerned. Like people want, want, want Doc to dial back his minutes. And I agree in some respect, but just, just because I'm worried about 37 year old PJ Tucker being fresh for the playoffs. It's not like they have like that many great options to put. Like, I don't want, I mean, George Yang played 32 minutes last night. He, he's playing great too, by the way. Oh, he is, but I don't want to see 40 minutes of George Yang. Oh yeah, no. Like, and, and Doc always says that too. He's like, "Man, George looks really old when he plays a lot of minutes. Like, he's like, <laughs> looks slow." And you know what? I agree. He does. I agree. He does. Um, but no, George George is playing very well. He's playing very third well. option. George Yang. Yeah. I mean, they just have like right now, like they, they have Melton running. I, I asked Melton after the game last night, like. Have you ever run that many pick and rolls yeah, in your life? Been a and he he was like, No, it's been a minute. Uh and honestly, Melton overextended, you're gonna get missed layups. Did you have any confidence he was gonna make that layup no. when he was driving at the end? No. Yeah, he, no. he just he doesn't have very good touch on those. But uh, again, he does a pretty good job of getting there. He just doesn't have yeah. a touch to finish. And he's gotta keep trying. I mean, it would have been an amazing win because the shot he made before, that was a bomb. Yeah. That was it was like a 28-footer, and he just stepped up and drilled it. And then, I mean, what a sequence for him. He drills that shot, and then he picks Anthony Edwards just clean. I mean, he just completely timed up his dribble and picked him. That was really nice, and that's why um, why we've talked about it. He's just such a good, pesky defender. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, you would have probably wanted him to pull the ball out, but there's no way you can pull the ball out when you're you're actually ahead of the defender trying to score. Uh, yeah, just tough luck for him. But again, it's like tough luck. I, I can't say anything bad about how you're playing. Like it's you're, you're doing your best. And honestly, your best is better than I even thought it would be at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, on my list of concerns, D'Anthony is very, very, very low on that. He's playing good basketball more than you could have expected. I think when they signed him um, or traded for him, uh, he is he's everything that, that you hope for. Uh, he's just right now, like everyone else on the team, asked to do a little bit too much. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. 
Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I don't... I don't necessarily know if I have too much more on these last couple of games because that's not a that's not the Sixers. That's Joel Embiid and a motley crew of characters all playing out of out of role. Yeah, I mean they they're just going to be in complete survival mode over the next couple of weeks because Maxi's timeline is essentially what Harden's is. At least the, it, initially, right? We don't know Harden sounded optimistic that he was going to come back this week, but we don't exactly Yeah, and that's know. worth pointing out Harden he didn't practice, but he did basketball shooting drills. He did that we saw. Uh, said he did a little treadmill work, um, alter G, a little bit of pool work. So it looks like he is getting a little bit closer. At least he is progressing through his quote unquote return to play program. He had said he had the boot on for you know four or five days, uh, and then starting to build back up from there. So that yep. does seem like it is trending in the right direction. Still. You know, he he basically said that the timeline that was laid out initially, uh, which was a month, and would put him as on a return in early December, uh, he is on pace for that. So we still do have a little bit of time until he's back on the court, but progressing in the right direction. Yeah, and so, and that's the Maxi injury basically happens two weeks in New Harden's, and it's also uh, in the Harden's injury timeline, given the same timeline about. About a month, as the Sixers would say, reevaluate in two weeks. Yeah. It's funny that reevaluated in two weeks means they think it's going to be a month. That's that's generally it's it's like when well, I say they, they I'm going to be there in yeah. It's like when I say I'm going to be there in 15 minutes. You got to times that by two. You know, yeah. I'm going to be there <laughs> at a party or, yeah. or a dinner yeah. reservation or something like that. That means I'll be there in 25, 30, and uh, yeah, not not my best uh, best move there. I, I certainly don't. Uh, Overpromise, yeah, <laughs> or I definitely uh, underpromise, overdeliver. Yeah. I don't do that. Whatever, my brain is mush. I can't, I can't talk right now. Um, but yeah, so they're halfway through Harden's injury. Unfortunately, this is going to be the really tough period because hopefully, the second half of uh, of Maxi's injury, you will have Harden back and things will be a little more normalized. But this is this is going to be Joel and 
hopefully Tobias and just try and win half the games because <laughs> they're impossibly banged up right now. It is, you know, it's it's a shame because one of the reasons when I picked them to win a lot of games coming into the season, which now if they can end up being 12 and 12, it'll be a, a minor miracle. But one of the reasons I picked them to, to win a lot of games is because they had a lot of players who could ramp up their usage and their role if need be. You know, Tyrese Maxey was not going to be used as much as he would on some teams because he was playing alongside of James Harden. Tobias Harris wasn't going to be used as much as he would on other teams because he is the fourth option and not going to get very many pick and rolls called for him. Well, now you look at it and there just aren't very many players left that you can ramp up their usage. All all of the guys that you would look to to shoulder a heavier load are injured. Uh, And hopefully Tobias comes back relatively soon. But we're at the point where it's like, all right, well, Shake Milton, how much can you carry the offense? And it's just like, there's no other viable options. Like you said, George Yang playing great basketball. He's like trying to create off the dribble. He had an and one. I looked this up second and one of the season. That's not going to happen very often. Like you can't expect him to create off the bounce. He had um, two and ones over the weekend at least, did he? right? Did he? Okay. Okay. He might've. It's just, it's, it's one very... against Portis and one against Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. He's pretty good at, you know what George is, is good at for, for not being the fleetest of foot. He's very good mm-hmm. on those slot drives when, uh, when he has, you know, he, he just, he reads the angle and I, I don't know, he throws that change up, which for him is his fastball drive. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, but he's, he's very good at finishing them. Very good below the rim, uh, finisher. So, so credit to him for that. Yeah. It's, it's going to be tough. And I think we, we learned this about the Sixers this week and I don't think this is a roster construction problem, but when you remove one of Maxi and or hard or, uh, Harden, things get tougher for sure. When you remove both of them, yeah. they just don't, they don't have enough ball handling. Like, and in fairness, I don't think a lot of teams could survive with their starting backcourt, both of them out. But this team, they went very three and D heavy in the, uh, in the off season. And the hope still is that when everybody is back playing, the pieces fit better and they actually start playing better than they did earlier in the season. But right now, okay, yeah, they got a bunch of three and D guys, but they don't have anybody that can create shots except the seven foot two center who you're asking to shoulder an insane load. I didn't see what Joe's usage rate was after last night's game. A lot. He was at a forty two over the uh, the five previous games, and I understand he scored sixty points in one of those, but it's only going to stay that high with uh, with the lack of ball handling and playmaking that this crew has so man I, I just i hope his ankle is somewhat okay because you're gonna need him to be a monster to just tread water here you're just gonna yeah yep no they're they're probably roster construction wise they probably were about one ball handler short from ideal uh you'd yeah. probably like to see maybe tucker or matisse or someone in in one of those roles replaced by somebody who can dribble more consistently but like you said when you remove harden and maxi i think a lot of teams are going to struggle it's just yeah, uh, there's not much analysis to be added to that. There's just there's a lot of players missing and a lot of time missing and talent and, and usage missing. Um, it will be interesting. They got one more here at the Farg. They got the, the the Nets with a very notable backup center coming into town on Tuesday before going off on a stretch where there is six road games in seven days. So they will be on the road for the pretty much the rest of, of November and early December. Not a, a murderer's... What was that? 
Well, a couple tough ones. I'm thinking of Cleveland, Minnesota, or uh, Man- the back end Memphis, Memphis in there. Yeah, those are the only two hard ones. You're right, though. Winnable games and play on the, the one Hawks hand for like the million times so far this year. Yeah, and on the one hand, like you would want to clean up during the stretch with all these bad teams, and if you were had all your guys available, you would think you could run off some wins. But now you just have to take advantage of it. In that, okay, uh, we just need to get some results here. It's you know what sucks about this? We can't even judge the process of how they're playing right now. No. For me, it's just like, can you eke out a couple wins? Like, you know, pat them on the back after you win those games. Congratulations. Like Every but, offensive possession is like stages of success. It's like, all right, can you get the ball across half court? Yes, good job. Can you not turn it over? Yes, good job. Can you get a reasonable shot off at the rim? All right, now we're talking. Uh, and that's sort of like how we're grading them. And that's how they... They played in, in last night's game where they, they shot it pretty well, but the rest of the stuff wasn't there, but it's not there for very obvious reasons. And I'm not going to kill D'Anthony Melton and Shake Milton for, uh, you know, for not always getting them into perfect offense. Yeah. So, and that was the thing with, uh, with last night's game. Like they, they probably shot like there, there was some shooting variance luck that kept them in that game. Uh, for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. It could get, it could get, look, the offense could get real ugly here in the coming, uh, the com- maybe not Tuesday. Because they've got a team that isn't necessarily known for their defense coming in, but it could it could even get ugly there. Um, and that's a team where you've got, you know, I think Kyrie Irving is questionable or probable for today's he's, game. He's uh, playing the night, yeah. Saw a, a tweet. He is going through his pregame shoot around to see if any anti-Semitism flares up, and if not, he'll mm. be good to go. Don't necessarily know how you can be questionable on a team-related suspension, but here we are. And then you've got Ben Simmons, who has been playing lately, had a, a pretty good game the other night, certainly by his current standards. I, I guess maybe, look, he's played here in like five of the last six games. I guess there's a decent chance he might actually show up here at the Wells Fargo Center. That will be a, that will be a, a high-profile game, or at least it could be. He certainly doesn't have any excuse to miss the game. Come on, the Sixers are unbelievably depleted. Come, come here. Oh, no, and they should. They should. Yeah, they should they come should here and try and easily. kill them. Yeah. By the way, I don't think they're going to win that game easily. I don't think they're going to win that game easily. I, I think there might be a. And Joel tried to downplay it the other night, but I think he might be fired up for that one, especially now that they have two days off and he's not running on fumes. But it, if his ankle is good enough to go, I think he's going to be fired up. It's going to be the national TV game. Against and he could drop a billion on Claxton. And look, Claxton is playing phenomenal basketball, a really improved player, a good defender. He's just, he's too small. He's, he's too small. The combination of motivation and the opposition just, they don't have the personnel. They don't have the horses to guard. Him, so. And when you've got a guy like Claxon who's too small, you need really good team de- defense around him. And I don't know if you've noticed, that's not really Brooklyn's strength. The Sixers are playing the Nets and Charlotte on a back-to-back. If Joe is good enough to play, Doc needs to be able to orchestrate enough good shots. Yeah. For the, like you have to play through Joe to a comical amount and you'll probably get doubled, tripled, quadrupled, whatever. There should be good shots available for him or the rest of the team. All right. But it's going to be hard. Yeah, it is. And it, don't don't come here looking for pretty basketball. You might see a Herculean feat of uh epic proportions, but don't come looking for pretty basketball. It's not what this portion of the season is about. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.